This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 173. How good your flips come out, a lot of it is predicated on how often you show up. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com. Your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's up? What's up, man? I'm sore. I've never been so sore in my entire life. Uh, yeah, yeah, keep your private life private. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was playing racquetball this morning. I haven't done that in a long time. Well, I played three games this week, and before this week, I haven't played in years. So, Isn't that what you used back when you were a chubby little kid to That's, get skinny? <laughs> That's exactly. I lost like 60 pounds back when I was 21 for my wedding. Nice. So, uh, nice. you know, getting ready for summer, you know, got to look uh, good for all the ladies. Going to pump you up. <laughs> That's cool. Of course, yeah. ironic that I call you a little kid, you know, being nine feet tall. I am nine feet tall, actually nine twelve. So, you know. That's that's excellent. <laughs> how how are things? Oh, uh, besides being sore, things are really good. You know, it's been a big week, big couple weeks here at Bigger Pockets. You know, sites oh, yeah. massively growing very, very fast. We passed the five hundred thousands we talked about last week. Five hundred thousand. And you guys made a video there in the Denver office. We did, we did. We made a little promo, a little commercial. You can check it out, by the way, on our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show. 173. Yeah, it's cool. It's a fun little promo piece. It makes so me crack up every time I watch it. It's it's a little bit blue, but you know, if, a, if you don't mind. A, a little, little inappropriate. Just a you know, it's bleeped out, but it's a little inappropriate. It's got know? a it's it's, it's edgy. A, it's, it's edgy. Yeah. It's edgy. You know, we're bigger pockets. <laughs> but but you know, I think it's designed for those people really who are working in these jobs that they hate and you know, just dreaming about something else. And and yeah. so yeah, check it out if you haven't seen it already. Again, go to the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 173. That's show 173. And if you like it, please share it. You know, obviously, we'd love to get it out to more people and inspire more people to check out Bigger Pockets. Yeah, that was that's it's been fun. And, you know, I think we're about to hit like 50,000 Facebook likes and 200,000 forum posts, 2 million, I'm sorry, 2 million forum posts on, on the site. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But today, today we've got an amazing, amazing, amazing show. show. You know, I know we say that a lot, but <laughs> a lot of amazing shows. So, yeah. you know, it, it's awesome. But before we talk about it, why don't we get to today's quick, quick tip. tip? All right. So today's quick tip is if you are familiar with the Bigger Pockets rental property calculator, it's something that I use almost every single day and a lot of our members use, thousands of people use it all the time. Well, we just added a feature to it and I wanted to just talk about it for a second. Basically, you know, what I do in my investing is I like to buy properties, I like to fix them up and I like to rent them out and then I'll sell them later on. And so before we didn't have a way of really calculating what that meant in the long run in terms of return on investment. So what we did is we added a total return option and it's on the bottom of like the chart that's on page four of the calculator. So let's say I bought a property for 50,000 or 500,000, whatever, doesn't matter, and put some money into it, fixed it up, rented it out for five years, and then sold it. What kind of total return would I get? It gives you a, a much more accurate view of uh, your investing strategies. Anyway, check it out. If you have not yet, free members can use it, I think, five times. Pro members can use it unlimited. But check it out. Very, very cool. You can kind of see what your total return is going to look like versus just cash on cash. And then biggerpockets.com slash calc. Biggerpockets.com slash calc or slash analysis if you want to learn more about it. So there you go. There we go. Cool. All right. Today's guest is Steve Jones. Steve is a real estate investor from the Southern California area. And, you know, 
I think it's really important that we talk to Steve because he's actually flipping in that area. And I think it's important because we hear all the time from people, Southern California, I can't invest there. I'm a real estate investor who lives there. It doesn't make sense. Or I'm in New York and it doesn't make sense. Or I'm in San Francisco, San Francisco, Chicago, any of the big expensive markets. And so Steve is actually flipping houses. He's flipped over a hundred houses in the Southern California area. And you know, not only that, but he's flipping houses that he's buying probably pretty close to market and he's making a profit on it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a fascinating strategy, how he does it, how he actually goes about making money. And, and I think he shoots in the eye the idea that you have to go somewhere else and invest outside of your market. It can be done. You just have to think about it. You have to be smart about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great show. I'm really excited and looking forward to presenting it to you. Listen, it's not coffee or donuts. It's not campfires or s'mores, not peanut butter or jelly. Great things happen when two good things come together. So why choose between cash flow or appreciation? Rent to Retirement's new construction homes give you both. Rent to Retirement offers newly built homes that attract the best tenants with fewer repairs in outstanding rental markets. That means more monthly cash flow for you and plenty of equity growth in the background. Plus, their creative financing options let you buy investment properties with just 5% down. Not 20%, not 10%, 5% down. Rent to Retirement offers turnkey new construction homes already built, leased, and managed for you. Their investing experts find the best markets that consistently offer double-digit returns and prices as low as $150,000. And they've got more five-star reviews than any company on bigger pockets. You invest, Rent to Retirement does the rest. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You, you got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com.
Before we move forward, also on today's show, we're not just going to be talking about flipping, but Steve also does condo conversions, and we dig in a little bit on that. It's another interesting strategy. So uh, listen up, stay tuned, and bust out those notepads, guys. We we got lots of great juicy tips for you. So uh, with that, all right, Steve, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Thank you, thank you. Super, super excited to be here. Yeah, we should have fun today because we're we're talking about something that maybe you know a lot of times we get people that are in the you know Seattle market because I have a lot of you know friends up here that we've had on the show. We've had people in the Midwest quite a bit, but I'm excited to talk to you about Southern California a little bit today because that's where you invest. Is that right? Yes, Southern California. All right, primarily Los Angeles and Orange County. Okay, because everyone says can't be done. I hear that all, all, all the time. Can't be done in Southern California. In fact, every webinar I do, somebody says, yeah, sure, that works up where you live, but it'll never work in Southern California. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Good. Yeah, I'm excited. Cool. All right. And of course, for people listening, it doesn't mean just Southern California, but if you live in an expensive market, a very hot market, if you live in any of the major cities in the US, uh, you guys are going to love this show. So uh, let's, let's do it. How did you, Steve, how did you get started with real estate? I got started with real, I'm going to back up a little bit. Sure. So I, uh, I worked in the action sports industry, which is sort of like the surf industry for over 25 years. And most of that time was spent at Quicksilver. Cool. Are you familiar with that brand? I wear their t-shirts, but yeah, that's about okay, it. Because so, <laughs> he's 12. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that whole industry is based in Orange County. I was living down in Orange County, working at Quicksilver, and I started buying a couple of homes down. And I was living in Laguna Beach at the time. And I had bought my, gosh, the first home that I bought down in Laguna, I paid $140,000 for it. Wow. Oh my God. So that tells you kind of how long ago that was. <laughs> and I remember when I, and I remember when I bought that, I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, how am I going to make the mortgage? And this is, you know, every, anytime you buy something like that, you're, it's always like, how am I going to do this? And then I, uh, so working at Quicksilver and then I bought a couple of properties and I flipped one and I just, I didn't even know what I was doing and I made money on it. And again, this was in Laguna Beach. And then fast forward to sort of the end, closer to the end of my career at Quicksilver, I was introduced to a friend of mine by a mutual friend. He had a 12 unit apartment community, little rental community in the city of Costa Mesa. And he was kind of wondering what to do with it. I partnered with him and we did a condo conversion, a 12-unit condo conversion in the city of Costa Mesa, and that really started my real estate career. So for those, nice. who, those who don't know what a condo conversion is, can you explain that real quick? Yeah. So in this case, like I said, it was it, what it was, it was really a series of six duplexes and this kind of little sort of, again, rental community, and they were rental units. And so what we did is we purchased this piece of property went through the city of Costa Mesa and and what you do is you basically sort of untie each unit where you can sell each unit individually. Got it. Got it. Really, really quickly because knowing that you've done the condo conversions, Brandon and I talked up front, we we definitively want to dig in a little deeper. I want to rewind before we get there if that's okay uh, for everybody and if it's not. (laughs) It's your show. What what are you going to do about it? So that property you paid 140k for the the original property. Do you still own that? I I sold it. You sold yeah. it. Just curious, what is that worth today? That is worth 850. Wow. 850. Okay. 850. Yeah. Yeah. A little less than a million. Okay. 
Fair enough. And you're talking about just randomly buying property and flipping it. I mean, did you have any experience or was it like, you know, hey, you know, this this makes sense. I could fix up a property and do it. Or how, how did that all kind of come about? It was crazy. So again, the first one that I did, I just, I did not know. I did not know anything about anything. And I was just stumbling through the thing totally blind. I didn't have, again, I had a full-time job and I didn't, I just didn't know what I was doing. And I think the market kind of helped me a little bit, sort of carried me up. And it was one of those things. I bought it. I held on to it for a little bit and I sold it. And I think I made, and I, I made 40 grand off of it. And I was, and this light bulb went off and I was like, wow, like I could, like, there's a potential to do this. Yeah. yeah. Were, were you living in the property at all or you just bought it? And, no, no, not okay. living in the property. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And so I know you've been flipping properties for a while. So just, you know, so we can get some context. How many flips have you actually done so far? I've done over a hundred flips. Ooh, wow! And were those all in the? They're all in the Southern California, Orange County, LA area. Yeah, I started. I uh, was working down in Orange County. Uh, my partner, my business partner, and I down there. We did the two. We did. We actually did two condo conversions down in Orange County. And the last one that we did, the second one that we did, we released it in I think two thousand and seven. And okay. so for anyone okay. that's familiar with timing, yeah, the, the best time, it was just, it was, it, you got, we, we, we did this condo conversion and the project came out great. It was this beautiful thing and we released it at the top of the market and it was just like crickets. And so that thing, you know, then the, the economy did what the economy did. I was living up in Los Angeles by that time. And then I was sort of looking around and I wasn't working at Quicksilver and I was like, gosh, what am I going to do? And so then I started looking at areas up here in L.A. And I started looking at flipping houses. And then that's sort of where I found my niche and went into. So for people that aren't super familiar with Los Angeles, you've got kind of like the west side and you have sort of like the east side. And so most of my business is on the east side of, coast, uh, east side of Los Angeles. Got it. Okay. So you, you've given me a whole lot of material here and I know we, we want to dig in a little bit more. So a hundred flips is not inconsequential. So obviously you've figured it out. I've learned a few things along the way. Cool. So let's just start with the obvious. You know, how does one flip a property in, in Los Angeles? How does one do deals in, in a really expensive market? I mean, you said you have a business partner. I mean, are, you know, are you guys kind of co-financing it or, you know, is it like any other market, just a little more expensive? What, what's the story there? I, I think, yeah, I think a lot of it is, gosh, flipping a home in Los Angeles is just like flipping a home, really sort of anything else, like anywhere else. And the thing that I tell people all the time is, gosh, to, to redo a bathroom costs about the same amount in Los Angeles as it does really anywhere else. Yeah, right. And so you have a lot of these things that are really sort of the same. Now, the purchase price, you know, on the buy-in, it might be a little bit higher than what a lot of people are used to. And just like everywhere else, I'm sure, the competition around here is is insane. I mean, you have people bidding on these properties and you know this one that I looked at the other day they got 27 offers wow yeah wow so how how do you do that i mean you know being that it is a ultra competitive market are you finding your deals on market are you finding off market deals what's your strategy for actually getting these properties yeah so it it's a combination of both of those sometimes i've got 
you know, I've, I've been doing this for a while in LA and I have uh, a little bit of a reputation and people know me. And so I've been fed deals in the past. And anytime somebody cold calls me or gives me whatever, I follow up on every single lead. Yeah. Having, having said that, most of the deals that I've gotten have been, we've just peeled them off of the MLS. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. And then like so much of this industry and so much of this, of this business is just relationship based. Yeah. And so then even with Los Angeles, where it's as you know, big of a city as it is, it's really like the real estate world can get kind of small. Yeah. And so then, you know, one of the advantages that we have, and when I say we, I mean my real estate agent and I is, you know, we've got this track record and we can perform and the person that has the listing wants to make sure that, you know, whoever's going to do the deal is going to close. And so, right. Yeah. Here, here's my question. If, if you're pulling these things off the MLS, I was an agent in LA. I, I know the market pretty well. That's not a market where properties are going for under market. There's maybe some little pockets, but you know, overall, you're, it's going to be really hard to find something on the MLS in Laguna or West Hollywood or Costa Mesa that's going to be under market. So how does how do you go about acquiring these deals at a point where you can actually make a profit on them? What do, what are you doing to transform these things where you're going to actually walk away with some value and profit? Yeah. So the thing that I the thing that I'm always looking for, you're absolutely right. Everything you said, and the thing that I'm looking for is I'm looking for hidden <laughs> value. Looking for what? Hidden, hidden value. Hidden value. Okay. What hidden does that value. mean? Yeah. What does that mean? And so hidden value is so these homes that uh, most of these homes that I'm picking up, they're older homes built in the 20s and the 30s. Um, by the time I get them, they've just been you know kind of beat down or whatever. And so for me, what I look for is I look at the thing, sort of take a step back and look to see what I can do to transform this thing that, again, is going to add, it's going to be a value add. So for example, like I'll take the, you always want to create a master suite. Yes. That's yeah. one of the things you want to do. And then we'll take the master, I'll push it in the back where it opens into the backyard. I almost always add, uh, if there's a, I'll replace a window with the French door where it opens up into the backyard. We're always trying to sort of bring the indoors, outdoors, and bring the outdoors in. And sort of, you know, we've got this great weather here in Southern California. And so so that's one thing. So you have a formula. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah. I got a formula for sure. Okay. Keep, keep going. Let's... Yeah. And so then one of the other things that I do, um, that I like to do is... So now you have this whole uh, population, uh, 10, 15 years ago, maybe it wasn't such a big deal, but now you have all these people that work from home. And yeah. so I think what's important for a lot of home buyers is you know, a home office. And so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll look for, you look for properties. If you, have, if, if you find a property with a three-car garage, it's awesome. What you do is you take a third of that garage, convert it into a two-car garage, and then convert the one-car garage into an office space. That's smart. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah, and so and so, and then even we'll take a two-car garage, cut that in half, do a single-car garage, and do the office back there. And it's crazy too. It's like uh, you know, I used to think that. And again, I think this is a little bit of sort of like an old thinking mentality. It's like, you know, people have nice cars and they want to park their car in a garage. And I think that that is 
sort of a fallacy. People don't care. They just park them wherever. Right? <laughs> well, I know in my, well, and, and what's funny about that is, is every area is so different, right? So like in my area, if I can't, I can't sell a house without a garage because it rains 300 days a year, right? So nobody wants there to walk. Go. So yeah. like, I know that my market, I have to build a garage if there's not a garage or just accept a huge loss on the property, you know, or accept a, a big discount. Uh, so it's just interesting how like your market differs from my market. And people should know that, that every area has got its own little quirks. And that's why I just... It's so important to know what works in your area. I love that. And the style. I mean, like yeah. you're, what the, the ideas that you have are phenomenal. And I think overall would probably work in a market like ours in Denver. But the same thing applies to what Brandon says. You know, you get these wicked snows in the, in the winter and the spring. People want their cars covered up. So, you know, what works in SoCal doesn't necessarily work here. But I bet you there's some things here that, you know, amenities that you could build in uh, to these types of flips that, that, you know, people over there wouldn't care about and would add value as well. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. And again, it's just like every time I look at a house, I try to see what we can do to sort of shift things around, open up spaces. A lot of times we'll blow out the ceilings if, if, if it's got a pitched roof. A lot of times we'll just add, you know, one of the easiest value adds is just adding on square footage. You're talking about like actually add like a section of the house, like build a new foundation and, and yeah, build a new foundation. I just picked up this home in in Silver Lake, and I think it's uh, 1,100 square feet, and and we're adding 600 square feet to the back of the house. Oh wow, nice, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So, again, as I kind of hit through in before, you've got you've got a formula that you generally use. I mean, it 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 sounds like you know you've got kind of a set of design standards that you go by, and you know, you're looking for a house that meets a very specific set of criteria that, you know, even though you're going to pay market price for these deals, you could turn around and, and actually make a fair amount of money. So what, what, what I was going to ask is, what is kind of the average purchase price you're looking at? What are you generally putting into these things? And, you know, if you don't mind, what do you typically walk away with? Sure. So, so I'm going to back up just a little bit. When I first started doing this in LA in, gosh, it was, you know, 2007, 2008, I was, and again, this was at the right when the recession hit and, you know, the sky was falling. I was picking up homes in the twos and the threes and selling them in the fours and the fives. Right on. Okay. And so now, gosh, I, I just picked up a home. Uh, oh, another value add. Can I go back to the value? Oh, yeah, please, please. Yeah, so one of the other things that, that we look at is we take uh, duplexes and convert them into single families. Ah. Yeah. And so if it's a side-by-side -side duplex or even if it's a stacked one, if there's a way where we could connect the two, I'm working on a side-by-side -side duplex. And so you go through the city of Los Angeles and there's Los Angeles's rent control. And so you have to go through a process with the housing department which you can do, and we're doing. Uh, a, there's a lot more value in it being a single family than there is as a duplex. And Got so, it. in in that case, in that instance, I picked up the the duplex was a, uh, gosh, it was nine. It was like nine hundred thousand dollars, and we're gonna put a uh, hundred about a hundred and fifty into it. And I think the future market value is somewhere. About 1.45, 1.5. Wow. Right on. Yeah. 
And, and what it, what would you say? Like, I'm just curious. In in terms of you go into a house, do you have a typical amount that you're like, this is my rehab budget average? Is it thirty? Is it fifty? Is it a hundred? Like, what do you typically spend on on a normal rehab? Uh, I've never spent thirty. Okay. I've never spent fifty. <laughs> it's always it's always north of a uh, hundred grand. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've never spent north of a hundred grand. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. So so like I said, like these houses that I get. There are these, again, these kind of older things. And again, in terms of value and in terms of where I can put value in and really sort of where I can make money is you get, you just buy the most beater homes that you can. And I'll take the ones that are, that are, you know, sliding off of hills and, and funky foundations and things that are sloped and leaning. And, and we, we, we go after all that. Nice. Awesome. Have, have yeah. you ever lost money on a flip out of the hundreds you've done? Yeah. What was? Do you mind me asking? What's like the worst flip you ever did? And- <laughs> Maybe you see, shouldn't ask me that question. <laughs> yeah. I, no. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I've lost money on maybe probably less than five. Okay. Like, okay. Like a handful. Um, and every time, and it's been a while since I lost money on a flip. But I'll tell you, those ones are the best. You, <laughs> you learn a lot. You learn a lot. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember this one, oh my gosh, it was up in the hills in this area of Mount Washington. And I, and it, there was no parking. There was no garage. There was no parking. It was street parking only. And sort of one of my things is that it always, you know, we always have to, you know, we you got to give them a place to park, especially yeah. when you create these nice homes. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought foolishly that I could add a parking space to this thing. And it was set on a cliff and, Needless to say, we ended up selling at street parking only. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And, and, and it's funny too. Like the thing I was going to say about that is that I, you know, I think for a lot of flippers, it is sort of, it's a, it's a risky business. Yes. And so it takes a certain, you, you have to have an appetite for risk. And, and there has to be, you have to go into it. I don't want to say it's arrogance. But there's just you have to have a certain personality where you're gonna just sort of plow through it. And in this case, let's just say I was a little too arrogant. Yeah. Was it? Was it? I mean, it sounds like the property probably would have done okay, but you made a bad assumption. I mean, at the end of the day, this wasn't like you under or overestimated your costs, your your rehab budgets, things like that. This was you just you kind of made a bad assumption, and that assumption aside there was probably a pretty good chance you would have walked away with profit. Is that correct? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Okay, so how, how could other folks who are doing flips avoid that? Because we, we haven't really talked too much about that. We, you know, we, we always talk about not pre- prepping for the budget, overestimating your sale price. But in this case, is there anything you could have done to have avoided that happening? Yeah, I, I think so. one of the things that I always do when I purchase a home is I, is you think about who the end buyer is going to be. Okay. And, and so I create this sort of like almost like a customer profile in my mind. And so like on one house, it might be like the single hipster guy. Another one, it might be like the working girl. It might be a family. And so then for working girls. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? Is there a pole in the middle? (laughs) Is that? Strippers are people too. Yeah, come on, Josh, don't hate. <laughs> and so, and so you, and so I create a customer profile in my head, in my mind, 
And then you sort of build into what you think is going to be important to that customer. I love that. Yeah. Like when I was first starting out uh, in these neighborhoods, um, gosh, this was, you know, about 10 years ago. And the neighborhoods, they weren't um, they're you know, we're going to call them transitional. And so, you know, parts of the neighborhood weren't, uh, you know, they, they just weren't as safe as they are today. And so, gosh, one of the things that I thought was important for a home buyer was just to kind of give them like some security and safety. And so a big part of our deal was just building like nice fences around the homes. Yeah. And that's something that matters to a home buyer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I, lo- I love that. I mean, like, yeah, to think of who, who, who it is, because a lot of times flippers will think, what do I want? Like, you know, oh, I would love to have this extra yeah. thing or this, I would love to have a three car garage. So I can park my ATV. But then you're yeah. thinking, what's the buyer going to want? They're going to want a home office. So let's turn that into it. And I, I think that's super smart. So. And what is the neighborhood support? I mean, yep. what, what, and what is the neighborhood support? You know, the other thing too is like, especially with a, you know, with a couple or a family, it's like, who is the, person in that family that's going to have the last say and the wife, the wife. Usually. that's right that's yep. right and so then it's like okay well what's what's important to the wife and kitchen. so what's that's right you're absolutely right so it's the kitchen and it's the bathrooms so she's going to tell me to cook dinner for her <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i don't do so oh we're not talking about me i'm sorry because brandon uh, always makes it about him i, I, I use you know yeah, you get confused a lot. It's okay. So I, I like, again, I like that, just that thinking in terms of, you know, what do they want? What does she want? And what, what can we do to maximize it? Heck yeah. And so it's like, and again, and if the wife, if there's something that the wife or the girlfriend doesn't like, they're going to keep looking. Yep. And so, and so kind of knowing that in advance and knowing that bathrooms and kitchens are important, it's like, you better make sure those are okay. Yeah. And so then again, when you're looking at a house that you're uh, touring properties or looking for potential flips, it's like if the kitchen's too small or if you can't create a master suite or, you know, whatever that looks like, you know, you want to keep looking too. Yeah. Cool. Makes sense. Can I, can I ask you about contractors? Like, do you have better luck? Do you feel like than a lot of people? Cause you're in such a large, you know, massive area like LA. Do you have, a, do you have a lot more contractors to choose from? So you get better options or do you struggle like we all do with just getting good contractors to do good work for a reasonable price? Yeah. So for me, what I do is I'm always looking for new people. And so I've got multiple crews going at any given time. And one of my rules of thumb is that I never give a contractor more than one home at a time. Okay. So, so they may be working on a couple homes at a time, but I won't, it, it, it won't be with me. And why do you do that? I had a situation, this was maybe six, seven years ago. I had five or six homes I was working on at the same time, and I gave them all to one contractor. Mm. And the whole thing imploded. Because <laughs> like, nothing gets just, done. Nothing gets yeah. done, and he didn't have the bandwidth to, to take on so many projects, and so I learned from that. So now what I do is I've got my A-team, my A-team contractors, and then I have my B-team who's training to be my A-team. And then, and then what happens, I found, is that you just, you know, you, you work with the contractor over time, and then each time the prices for the bids, they seem to go up. They never, yeah, they never seem to go down. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that I always do as well is I always develop a super, super thorough scope of work. And I walk the job with three contractors and 
And and so by the time, uh, hey, sorry to interrupt. Re- really quickly, you talked about walking with three contractors. So are you walking the property with three competing contractors at the exact same time? No, I'm not. Okay, okay, it gets okay. a little weird. Yeah, that yeah, does get a little weird. weird. And and the other thing, the 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 thing too is that every time I walk it with a contractor and I walk them individually, is you learn something they'll see something in the home that maybe I didn't see and then I can add it to the scope of work and I can amend the scope of work. So then by the time I've walked it with three contractors, I've amended my scope of work, I've added some things, I've switched some things around and then I give that to each one of the three guys and then they give me their price. Can I, can I ask a question for you? One thing that I deal with a lot when I'm dealing with contractors, especially on flips, and I'm doing it right now, uh, is I get a contractor who will say, for example, an electrician comes out and says, I can do this job for 4500 So you say, okay, great, 4500 And then they get in there, they start working, they're like, yeah, you know, it's a lot more than I thought, so actually it's going to be 7500 It's like, just blows up like that. And a lot of times they tell me it after. So do you have any tips for dealing with like that kind of situation when contractors just add things on? Sure, yeah. I think someone told me a while ago, your best price is always going to be your first price. And so where I think a lot of contractors try to make money is at the back end with the Mm -hmm. change orders. And so again, you want to develop your scope of work as thorough as possible. And the other thing that I always put in my scope of work, so you open up again, especially with these old homes that I'm working on, you start peeling back walls and it's, you know, it's a mess. And so one of the things that I always put in my scope of work is to allow for 25% of replacement for framing, which is very generous, yes. And so every time you open up a kitchen, every time you open up a bathroom, you're always going to have some sort of rot behind the walls, which every contractor knows that. And so again, if you could build into your scope of work a little bit of an allowance for that, but the thing that I tell guys is that if they come back to me and they just say, ah, you know, it was just like it was more work than I thought. I'm, I'm like, dude, this is what you do for a living. Like, yeah. You're the contractor, you know. Yeah. And so and listen, you, you want to be fair and honorable and, and you want to you want to do the right thing. And if it smells like a rat and walks like a rat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think for those sort of things, it's sort of a case-by-case basis. But again, I think the lesson for me, thorough scope of work. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's solid. I, I know we just had a, a guy paint our house, like not our own personal house, but the flip that we're doing right now. He painted it, and he comes back at the end and says, yeah, you know, this was just a whole lot more work than I was thinking. I mean, we, we had to, my partner did all the mean work, but he had to basically yell at the guy and say, no, I'm not paying you a dime more because nothing came up. It was just him being, oh, you know, I just yeah. misjudged it. And we, yeah. yeah, we don't pay him a dime more, but he wasn't yeah, happy about and, that. And, yeah. And when I get that from contractors, I'm like, so explain to me, has something changed in the house? Yeah. <laughs> like what, what, what changed here? That's what my partner said. He's uh, like, yeah, actually I went up on the roof and I pounded, you know, like a thousand nails into the siding right near, right into the edge. That's what I did while you were, you know, sleeping last night. Just like sarcastic yeah. to the guy. Yeah. Well, and, I, and, and go ahead. No, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, you know, I, I think one of the things a lot of people get afraid of and uh, what I've heard over the years, a lot of people are scared to get into flipping because they're afraid that's going to happen. And I get the, the, you know, the whole let's create an allowance. But, you know, contractors can so easily, you know, slap a, a mechanics lien on your property. And yeah. so, you know, I think it's one of the things that, that makes a lot of people fearful is, oh, well, 
what if I get into this and the contractor says that I owe him more money because of this? And, you know, now he slaps a lien on the property and I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm totally screwed. What do I do? What would you say to somebody who thinks that? Yeah. Again, I think you, you want to be honorable and you want to be fair. And it's not about screwing the other guy. Right. Okay. And after you've done as many deals as you had done, you do get that all of this is so relationship based. Yeah. And so if some guy's going to slap a lean on it, I think you just got to sort of <laughs> all of this can so much of it, I think, can be resolved in a conversation mm-hmm. and sort of sort of understanding where the guy's coming from and try to get his position. And, you know, hopefully he can get yours and you come to some sort of an understanding. Yeah. But again, you know, I keep going back to the scope of work as long as that's been developed and it's thorough, there shouldn't be any misunderstanding. Yeah. And I think that where a lot of people run into problems is they'll walk it with a contractor and they'll say, yeah, you know, do this and do that and and let's do this and let's do that. And, you know, none of it's written down. And yep. And that's the that's yeah, the biggest so. problem I've run into is not writing things down, uh, where it's just like we have a handshake, we walk through the house, and then later it's like, oh, uh, oh no, the painting didn't include the trim, and I'm like, yeah. well, of course it included include the trim. Yeah. Well, no, no, it didn't. Yeah. And yeah. then what do you do? Yeah. So yeah, lately yeah. I actually created yeah. my own form, so the contractor will give me a bid. I have my own bid form now that I make them refill out or I fill it out for them, and on there it says, you know any change orders must be approved ahead of time and all that yep. stuff. And it's easier than to show them, Hey, you signed this document, remember? And then that conversation, it always you know helps. So I do the exact same thing. The other thing too, that I do, I'm lucky enough in that all of my flips are within 15, 20 minutes of where I live. And yeah. so I go to the job sites, like if not every day, then every other day. Okay. And so you see them there, you show up, even if you just show up for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you walk the thing. Do you guys have any questions? What do you, what's going on? Da, 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 da. And just make sure that everyone's clear. Yep. That's smart. smart. That's I love it. And, and yeah. And the other thing too, is that I know that some people are like, I don't want to go to my flips. You know, I want to spend as little time there as possible. The thing that I tell people all the time is gosh, you know, how good your flips come out. A lot of it is predicated on how often you show up. Yep. And especially with your working with new contractors, you just want to make sure that everyone's in sync. Yeah. I love it. That's great. Great, great advice. That's yeah. great. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting from finding the best guests to the maintenance to organizing the cleaners after every guest stay. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing or two about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with a reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com backslash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com backslash biggerpockets. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote 
the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. It's a simple concept, right? But not necessarily an easy concept. Right now, high interest rates have crushed the real estate market. Prices are falling and properties are available at a discount, which means Fundrise believes that now is the time to expand the Fundrise Flagship Fund's billion-dollar real estate portfolio. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in minutes by visiting Fundrise.com pockets. Fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Yeah. So I definitively would love to keep talking about flips, but you know, we we brush by the the condo conversions and you know, it's something that I'm particularly interested in. So I'd love to pick your brain on it. You know, I actually I took a five family, turned it into a four once and that actually turned out terrible. I, we did a terrible job on the conversion of the, the two units, converting them into one. Just, you know, you at least not on the condo conversion side, but you had talked about converting duplexes into single families. I failed miserably on that. But, you know, the idea of taking an apartment and taking an apartment and turning that into an actual condominium, which you could then sell, is, you know, it's pretty sexy for a lot of people. So, what what goes into that? Uh, you know, can you talk about you know, how do you evaluate that deal? You know, how do you, how do you know? Okay, I, if I buy this, you said you've been doing twelve unit apartment communities and converting those. How do you know if you pay X for the apartment community, you're going to be able to extract Y on the duplexes or the you know the single units that you uh, convert out of it? You know, what what other kind of costs go in? Just kind of start brain dumping on this if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So the first one that we did, the first 12 unit that we did in, in again, in the city of Costa Mesa, the application from the city was one page. Really? And so it tells you, yeah. So this was, again, this was, this was a good 10 years ago. And so the city was due to it as well. And in the past, what most of these guys were doing, these developers, is that they were taking these little kind of rental properties and just scraping them and building new. Right. And so for most of the guys, that's where the money was. And so when we looked at our first, the 12 unit that we had, you know, we saw these kind of cute little bungalows. And the other thing, too, that we saw was we, like I said earlier, I uh, was working in the surf industry down there. And so in Orange County, you had all these great sort of industries and great companies and you had kind of cool people working there. And 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 I didn't. Like the thing that, that that we saw was that no one was really addressing this customer in terms of housing, and so again, sort of creating this customer profile in advance. Gosh, there wasn't any kind of like quote cool places to live, and so we were like, gosh, let's let's develop this kind of like cool little community for these cool little kids to to buy these homes, and so we purchased this twelve unit little rental property. 
it wasn't in a great part of town. Again, you know, we call them transitional. (laughs) (laughs) Very political. But we also had sort of a little bit of a, like, if we build it, they will come sort of thing. And it it worked out really good. And then in terms of sort of pricing it, it's, it's sort of like doing a flip and just scaling it up. Can you explain that? Yeah, it's, gosh, you want to look at you. Okay, so when you go to assess your future market value, and again, working on 12 units, 12 homes at one time, and going through the entitlement process with with whatever city you're working with, it's a process. And it's going to take you, your calendar isn't going to be six months, it's going to be more like two years which is what we were dealing with. And so you want to make sure that you're sort of, you, you have a, you try to understand a little bit like what the market's going to do, a little bit of it's a crystal ball and sort of looking into the future, like, okay, you know, and then you can base it on price per square foot. It's just, you're going to assess, you're just going to assess the future market value and then the, the purchase price of the land. So we purchased this piece of land. I don't even remember what we paid for at the time, but there were 12 units you take the purchase price, divide by 12, that gives you your land value. We already had buildings on there. We already had our little structures on there. And then so that was really just sort of like a rehab thing. And then we assigned whatever our budget was for that. So it was it was you know, kind of like a flip times 12. You just have to think about it from a different angle. Yeah. Yeah. You have to think about it from a different angle. The... The holding costs for me is is the interesting thing that twelve month, not the twelve month, but you said you know it looked like it was about two years just in dealing with the city. Now that's before you could even do work, or is that yeah. you know to to go through the entitlement process where you have to develop it's called a track map, and you go through and it's like taking the property and all of the twelve units are considered sort of one piece of property. And then you develop the track map, and that takes each little unit, and you can peel off each little unit and sell them individually. Right. And so that process takes about six months. Got yeah. it. So, I mean, all and, in all, and, before you even start working or doing any kind of physical work, there's a long period of time here. There's a long period of time. And when we purchased the property, we had tenants in there. And so we were generating a little bit of rent. You know, it was a little bit run down, and we weren't getting great rents. There was also because we had tenants, I think we had to give them six months notice, serve them, and then they had six months to get out. Got okay. it. So, the, but, but for people who are thinking about doing this, <clears throat> this is not like, hey, you slap lipstick on a pig, flip it, and you're done. This is not a three-month process. I mean, you've got significant carrying costs potentially on something like this. It's, it's not a three-month process. You have to develop a whole HOA which there are companies that do that for you, but you've got to develop that. And then there's the whole, uh, after you're finished with it, you got to sell them. Yep. And so it takes a little bit longer to sell 12 units than it does one home. Yeah. Right. And one of the things that I was going to say about that project, so we finished our project and then we had this great little community and then there were no real estate agents that we were really like super thrilled with. And so we ended up, holding the open houses ourselves, me and my partner. And, and again, I don't know what our conversion rate was, but you know, for every, who knows, thousand people that come through the open house, you might sell one unit. Mm -hmm. So we held a lot of open houses, but I have to tell you, so working those open houses 
And watching people go through those units was some of the greatest, it was one of the greatest experiences I got <laughs> in terms of, again, what's important to people, what matters to people. It was like getting a PhD in, you know, home buying 101 or whatever. It was right an amazing on. experience. Right on. Well, l- let me kind of follow up. So that was that first property. You went and did it again, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, we did it again in Costa Mesa. Cool. Was it the same, I mean, same build? I mean, it was also... Yeah, just coincidentally enough, it was, again, it was a 12-unit thing. Um, and we went through the same process with the with the city, going through the entitlement process and developing a track map and all that. And we came out with this great product and our timing was terrible. Oh, this was the 07 one. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Cool. Yep. So, so that was the very bad timing. And I, I did want to circle back on that. So, you know, how did that play out? So what happened was, so we had to raise, gosh, we had to raise a couple million dollars. And most of the money that we raised was friends and family. And I put money into it. My partner put money into it. And everyone lost their money. Mm. And again, you know, there's always lessons in all these things. And I, I remember there was at one point, and, and again, this was sort of like the economy did what it did and, and just everything. It was just chaos. Yeah. And so I remember there was this one meeting where we had all of the investors in our lawyer's office and again, friends and family. And it was, you know, people got, people got emotional, but at the end of the, after all of the dust settled, and again, people lost their money. I lost a couple hundred grand off of that deal. Uh, I had one of the guys come up to me and he says, gosh, you know, he goes, you guys did a great job and you, you, you did what you said you were going to do. You came out with these homes and you spent what, you know, we didn't go over budget. We didn't end up with like this terrible product. The, the homes came out great. And so you can, we could at least say, gosh, it just, it, we did what, what we did, what we did and the economy did what the economy did. Right. Would you do it again? Would you do a condo conversion now? I think you've got, I think you want to be open to like kind of everything. And yeah, so I would, I would for sure do it. Okay. Okay, cool. So before we move to the fire round, you know, you've been in the game for, for a bit now. You've, you've, you know, done a ton of flips. You've done a, a few condo conversions. I know we didn't talk about it, but you're getting into rentals now. What, what gets you going? What excites you about this business? Why do you, why do you do it? I mean, it sounds like you had a cool job at Quicksilver. Why on earth are you dealing with all the hassles and headaches of flipping houses and all this stuff? What do you like about it? I love everything about it. It's like the best job in the world. And gosh, I love the process. I love making a difference in these communities. I, uh, when I first started flipping homes up in Northeast Los Angeles, I was, there was this, uh, this neighborhood, this town called Pylon Park and the work that we did and a couple of other people did, we contributed to the transformation of that whole neighborhood. It was remarkable. And so it's just great to be part of something a little bit bigger in terms of being able to sort of turn a neighborhood. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And so I love that. And then one of the other things that I love doing when I, when I got into this, when I got into flipping is I started this, we coined this term called the slow flip. Mm -hmm. And so the slow flip is 
well, I'm going to back up a second. So uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of people think, or there's this notion that flipped homes are done cheaply and sort of not very well right. quality. Yeah. And so and so I was like, gosh, let's see if we can't transform that whole idea of what a flipped home can be. And so we've taken on, and when I say we, I've taken on like putting a little bit, you know, paying a little bit more attention to the design and to the details and to the quality. And the other thing that I do is that when I sell my homes, I've got the name of my company is Better Shelter. We brand our homes and we put the name in front. And so I always brand my homes with the Better Shelter brand. And we've come to be known as this brand, as these these, these people that put out this product, i.e. flipped homes, and there's something people can trust the brand. Right on. That's great. Brand brand is key. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, you, you can do it without branding, but if you're trying to, to go long term, branding is really important. So I, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I, uh, again, you know, we spoke about it a little bit earlier. The, you know, the real estate world is so small. And so at the end of the day, really sort of all you have is your reputation. Yep. And and I want to make sure that the, that the work that I'm putting out is like quality work. And like I bump into my home buyers like at the coffee shop and I see them in the streets and I, I you know, and, and you want to make sure you can kind of like look them in the eye and you want to make sure that they're happy. And, and again, people are going to be living in these homes for the next 30 to 50 years or whatever. And you want to make sure you give them a good product. I love that. That's great. I love it. Yeah, I love that, that you, you brand them. And so people, other agents maybe can say, oh, this is one of Steve's properties. You know, like, yeah. I love that reputation you build. It's great. Like you said, real estate, I mean, LA is big, but real estate's small no matter where you are. And so your name real gets around. Real estate's small. Yeah, agents talk to one another. Again, you on the kind of on the going in, you want to, agents want to make sure that you can close. And then on the sell side, they want to make sure that their clients are going to be getting a property. Everyone's sort of reputation is resting on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, cool. I got two more quick questions for you before we move on to the fire round. And the first one is really quick. How many hours a week do you work typically? That's a good question. 30 hours a week. Okay. All right. Okay. And then last question I have before the fire round. Do you have any tips for our listeners who are just starting out and they want to flip houses, but they live in an expensive area? What's your best tip for somebody who's in that position? I think, you know, my advice to them would be to focus on a neighborhood. And so, again, in Los Angeles, you've got so many little neighborhoods and become, become an expert in that neighborhood. And then once you're an expert in that neighborhood and you kind of have an understanding for, you know, what, what homes, you know, the buy and the sell and all that sort of stuff, go out and raise some money. I love it. Because, again, to, to, to get into these homes, it takes a lot of capital and you know, it's funny. There's a lot of people that operate that come from like money is scarce. Yeah. But the flip side of that is that there's actually so much money out there and there's so many people with so much money and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And so I think for an investor, like, a you know, someone that's getting into the game, it's like, gosh, if you can tap into some of those people and, and show to them that, look at if you do X, Y, and Z with me, your money is going to make this kind of a return. Yeah. Fantastic. It's a, it's, and, 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 and really what you're doing is you're providing an opportunity for the yep. people with the money. Yeah, that's the huge right there, that transition between thinking I'm asking for money versus I'm offering an opportunity. I mean, this is huge. 
Yeah, and and I think I think I think the pitfall for a lot of people is that they're walking around with their hand out, going, "Oh, can you help me? I need help." Exactly. Whatever that yep. sounds like, and it, when it really is like, "Listen, you guys, this is an opportunity for you. This is an opportunity for you to make money." And the thing that I tell people all the time is that I, you know, I some of the deals I do on my own, some of them I partner with equity partners, and you know, my job is to make all of my partners rich. Yep. There you go. I love it. And love if it. they're rich, you're rich. So it's it's a beautiful thing. Yep. Yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. Cool. All right. Cool. Well, hey, let's shift gears and head over to world famous Fire Round. It's time for the Fire Round. The fire round questions. These come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums. These are real life members of BP who are asking questions, and every one of these questions has tons of answers anyway in the forums. But uh, because that, our forums are amazing like that, so uh, but I'm gonna throw them at you, get your opinion. All right, the first question of the fire round. I am a brand new house flipper, and I want to do all my own work on the property. Is that a bad idea? I think it's a bad idea, and I think that you want to look at where. What is your value that you can bring to this? And I think that you want to leave the painting to the painters, and I think you want to leave the electrical work to the electricians. And so where the investor's value is going to come in is sort of just kind of managing the whole process because there are a lot of moving parts to the process, as we all know. Right on. Terrific. All right, my question. Who typically picks out materials that will be used to rehab a house, such as tile, fixtures, cabinets, is that the GC, an interior designer, the investor? What do you do and, and what do you think it should be for other people? Yeah. So what I do is I de- try to develop systems and structures that are repeatable. And so, again, after you've done a bajillion flips, if you try to do everything different every single time, you'll just jump off a cliff. Having said that, you you always want to try to be improving what you did before and and you want to try to stay, you know, just sort of, listen, if I was doing the same stuff on my flips 10 years ago that I am doing now, I wouldn't have the success that I've had. And so I think that for me, I am responsible for all of the kind of the fit and finish stuff that hits the job site. And so again, but what I do is you have all of these accounts set up. So to kind of order the tile, it takes four minutes, seriously. I'm smart. Got it. Cool. It's not like a big thing. Yeah. And and you want to make sure that the guys that they could deliver it to the site and you want to, you don't want to be running around picking all that stuff up. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Number three, this one's a little bit longer. It's kind of a story, but see if you can follow me here. I recently graduated from college. And I work a nine to five job like most people do in the world, but I'm trying very hard to get my foot in the door of real estate investing. I've been very passionate about real estate. I just don't know where to begin as my first investment. What I'm looking for is some guidance or any advice that you can give me as to what a good starting point would be. Sure. I think, again, I would identify a neighborhood or identify a couple of neighborhoods. And one of the things that you can start doing is just start going to open houses Mm. and start talking to real estate agents there. And then you'll be amazed at what people will tell you, the information that people will give you just by asking questions. And so walking into some home, let's say you want to be a flipper, you walk into a home that, you know, some sort of a flip opportunity and just talk to the real estate agent. Hey, walk me through this house. What? Da, 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 da. And then the other thing that you can do is just hang out in the open house and watch other people walk through it. You'll be That's amazed. That's a great idea. Learn. That's a really good idea. Yeah. And then, 
can I say something else about that? Please. Is that on your back end, after you've finished your home and you have your, your flipped home listed and for sale, if you can hang out in the open house and sort of be like a fly on the wall, it's amazing what you'll learn watching people walk through your yeah. your your house. I've never done that, but I love that suggestion. I love that. That's a great yeah, idea. I think I think for a lot of people, once they've finished the home, you know, <laughs> it can be an arduous task. Yeah. And so by the time you're finished, you're like, ah, I'm over this thing. <laughs> but there's actually there. You want to make sure that you you're in communication with your real estate agent. You want to make sure you get the feedback. You want to ask the real estate agent for feedback. If you can go to one of the open houses, you'd be amazed at what you learn. That's yeah. great. That's great. All right. Last question of the fire round. Should I invest where I live or invest where I know the market if they're different? Yeah. I, you know, for me, I, I've never, all of my investing has been locally. And so I'm one of those guys where I like to see it and touch it. I, I, I hear about all the people that do it out of state. I don't, it's just, that's not what I do. And so I think that you live in the area and you know the area. And, and again, to be able to drive to the house that you're working on, there's a ton of value there. Yeah. Got it. Good answer. I'm going to ask one more question of the fire round, just because I'm curious. How long does your typical flip take from beginning to sale, from purchase to sale? Yeah. From what, what I tell people, from close of escrow to close of escrow, six months. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Oh, it's me. All right. So let's, uh, sorry, I was uh, dozing off there. All right. Let's go to the world famous. Famous for. These questions are the same questions we've been asking for 170 some shows now. And uh, I love hearing the answer every time. So number one, what is your favorite real estate related book? Okay. So you've heard it a million times before. The uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, oh, it, I agree. It's just transformational. I recommend it for everyone. Cool. Excellent. I agree. Fully agree. All right. F- favorite business book. So favorite business book is, it's, can I, uh, so I'm going to back up a little bit. So when I was working at Quicksilver, I designed all of their retail stores. Okay. And so, and so again, it was sort of like you got this education on like kind of what's important to people, what people respond to. And so a book I read back then was it was by an author, his name is Paco Underhill, and it's called How We Buy. And so it's the science and the study of how people shop. No, oh, cool. Okay. And so you can take that same technology and science and apply it to a home buyer. And That's so what cool. I mean by that, again, watch people when they, when they come into an open house and you see what they respond to and you see what they, what's important to them and what matters to them. And you can take that and apply it to the next home that you flip. That's Excellent. Awesome. awesome. That's great. That's great. What do you do for fun outside of real estate? I, oh gosh, I, uh, I grew up on the beach. Uh, I'm a surfer, so I love going to the beach. I love going surfing. I like, I love going to flea markets and collecting old stuff. And I just, you know, all these old homes that I fix up, they're these old homes again from the twenties and the thirties. I just like love old stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. me too. That's cool. Nice. That's awesome. All right. My final question of the day. What do you believe sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? I, you know, I, I think uh, you, you just got to put yourself in the mindset. And I think, a lo- I think for a lot of investors and, and especially real estate investors, sometimes it can get kind of 
lonely and a little bit isolated. And so you want to surround yourself with like-minded people. And you want to be in communication and conversation with other people doing the same thing. And I think that Bigger Pockets is a great example of that. And I also want to acknowledge both of you guys for creating this like amazing community where people can just log on and get a like a hit of inspiration. Thank you. Yeah, yeah good I job. Appreciate that. I'll defer yeah. to Josh for building it. I, you know, I, I, I make things look prettier sometimes, but it's about it. So. <laughs> Cool. Listen, oh, come on, Brandon. You, you know you like taking credit. Yeah, I'll take credit. Yeah, and listen, <laughs> like, and, and and also like just listening to the podcasts. It's like it's just you you get so much juice off of all that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I know that's crazy. The podcast for me, I mean, just listening. I mean, obviously, I'm doing the interviews, but just like that constant every week discussion with somebody who's smarter than me like it just it it means so much to me in my investing like it always pushes me forward always challenges me and i I love that so i yeah i think so and i I think the thing for the real estate investor is you gotta be someone defined development to me as wild optimism Mm -hmm. and so you just you know you 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 there's a million reasons i can give you a million reasons why not to do it right yeah. But at some point in time, you just got to like, you just got to go for it and you just got to do it. And listen, for every novice flipper investor out there, you're going to make the mistakes. Everybody has. I still make them. And it's like, that's kind of part of the process too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, that's great advice. Great advice. All right. Well, Steve, before we let you go, where can people find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? So my company is Better Shelter. So I'm on Twitter at Better Shelter, Instagram, Better Shelter, uh, BetterShelter.com. Just just Better Shelter. Perfect. Right on. And of course, they can find you on Bigger Pockets as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Better Shelter there. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, Steve, thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. This has been a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah. And, thank uh, you so much, Brandon. Thank you so much, Josh. You guys are great. Awesome. Thanks. See you around. You could have you thanked me first, but it's okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry about it. Just, I, I, I didn't think anything of it. No, yeah. it's all jo- good. Josh has a little com- <laughs> complex here. So. Josh has a little yeah. complex. Notice the giant is calling uh, it a little complex. Interesting. 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 Literally. All right, man. All right. Get out of here. Good Steve, talking see you later. Thanks all right. Bye. So much. Appreciate you guys. Thank all you. Right, you too. All right, that was Steve Jones, show 173 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 173. Great stuff. Great yeah. stuff. I I love I love how he does it because you know we're we're talking about a market that is not an uh, inexpensive market. Yeah. And he's just being really creative about how he finds properties and converts them and, and makes money off them. I mean, a lot of yep. people who haven't been in the game for a long time, might look at those same properties and say, I can't flip that. There's no way to make money there. Yep. But he's got this formula and it's great. Yeah. I love like things that stand out for me was like the hidden hidden value, finding that hidden value, talking, figuring out what does the buyer want, not what do I want. Yep. Uh, I mean, those things were just solid pieces of advice I think that uh, anybody can take and, and use. So very cool. Total gold. Total gold. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic, man. Well, cool. I don't know. 
What else? I'm going to go get a heat pad and put it on my back. <laughs> I'm sore, man. Like this Poor is... old man. I know. Wait you and I got to play. Man. I know. You and I got to play some racquetball someday. We you know? should. I, I wonder I wonder who would win. I don't know. I'm you know, I'm pretty darn good. I lost Well, you're like wingspan covers <laughs> the entire range of the. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't move. I just stand box. there and just hit. You know, it's easy, you know, because I'm 20 feet tall. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> you know. Stretch Adams or whatever that toy was. There you go. Stretch Armstrong. Armstrong. He was yeah, the there coolest you go. toy. I love that thing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Was, was that your inspiration? That was. I was like, I'm going to be that guy. And so I, every day I would like <laughs> stretch my legs and arms so I'd be nine feet, 12 tall. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> All, All right, right. Man, Let's get out of here. You guys, join guys, join folks just like Steve uh, on the Bigger Pockets site. Uh, create your accounts today, biggerpockets.com. Put together a free account. You can connect, network, interact with people. Tons and tons and tons of unlimited free content. It's it's amazing. So if you're a listener of the podcast and haven't checked out the site, it would behoove you to do so. Uh, if this is inspiring, wait till you actually read and see what people are talking about and doing. So uh, jump on the site today. With that, I'm out of here. Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Braving the real estate investing journey on your own can be daunting. Doubts tend to creep up and stifle your ambition. Is this actually a good deal? Did you run the numbers right? What if you can't find a tenant? Can you even afford this place? What if you lose your job? Whatever you're going through, we've all been there. And guess what? The best way to overcome your doubts and hesitations is with a healthy dose of knowledge, networking, and accountability. And that's just what you'll find in our newly released 2024 Summer Boot Camps. After these eight action-packed weeks of step-by-step guidance from expert investors, weekly video modules, live Q&As, interactive assignments, and new friends to keep you accountable, you'll be ready to tackle your first or next deal with full confidence and expertise. Choose from the small multifamily, short-term rental, or rookie boot camps and register by April 12th for the lowest prices. Head on over to biggerpockets.com slash enroll me today. That's biggerpockets.com slash enroll me. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.